Let me read Hebrews chapter 1 from verses 1 to 3. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we submit our ears, our minds and hearts to the ministry of the Holy Spirit through the proclamation of your word. We pray that you open the eyes of our hearts, that we may understand your word, that we may not be distracted as we listen to your word, that we would not give room to the evil one to rob the word that will be sown in our hearts, that we will fear and tremble at your word, that we will submit ourselves to the authority of your word, and that we would carefully pay attention to your voice through this scripture. We pray that you speak to our hearts and change us and show us Christ, O Lord. Show us the glory, the beauty, and the majesty of our beloved Savior who loved us and gave his life for our sins and rose from the dead. We pray that you honor your name and your word and build your church. In the name of our beloved Savior, Jesus Christ, we offer this prayer with thanksgiving. Amen. We have seen in the first sermon of this passage... The God who speaks and we have listened how God has spoken in the past and how he is speaking to us today through his written word. And then we have also seen in the last sermon the superiority or the supremacy of our beloved Savior Jesus Christ. We have seen that Christ is the inheritor and also we have seen Christ is the creator. And then we have also seen that Christ is the reflector, the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, that Christ is God. And today we will be looking at the third verse. And uh, it says here in Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Christ upholds the universe by the word of his power. It doesn't say just the planet earth. Observe universe. Universe consists of all the heavenly hosts. The stars, the planets, the galaxies. All that exists in time and space. Christ upholds by the word of his power. You know there is a philosophy called. It is not very popular. Especially in our nation. But this was uh, a philosophy which was popular in the past. And some people still believe. And the philosophy is called deism, D-E-I-S-M, which means God has created the world and they do believe that God is a creator of the world. But the thing is, after he created, he is no more involved in the creation. He left the creation to run by itself. That's the reason there is suffering, there is evil prevailing. God is not personally engaged in the world. He left it. To run by itself. And they use the illustration of a watchmaker. You know when the watchmaker makes the watch. What will he do after that? He doesn't do anything. It runs by itself. Only when there is a service required. Some people are there to repair it. So these deeds believe that. God is not personally engaged. God is not active. God is not controlling the affairs of the world. And uh, but the scripture goes contrary. To what deism believes. It says in verse 3. That Christ not only created the universe, which we see before Christ being the reflector. The entire universe was created by him. Not a single thing exists apart from the creation of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he not only created, it says that he upholds the universe by the word of his power. And in line with this, similarly, even Colossians chapter 1 verse 17 says, affirms, what Hebrews chapter 1 and 3 speaks, even Colossians chapter 1 verse 17 affirms. And Christ is before all things. 
When the Bible tells that Christ is before all things, the scripture is testifying to the eternality of the Lord Jesus Christ. One of the reasons we believe Jesus is God is because he is eternal and he is before all things. And you see what it says over here. And in him, in Christ, all things hold together. Everything is held together. The planets in the space, the stars in the space, the sun, the moon, and even the earth and everything in it. The Bible tells that in Christ, all things hold together. Now, what is the meaning of the word uphold? When the Bible tells here in Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3, he upholds the universe by the word of his power. The meaning of the word upholds means he supports. The universe is not only been created, it is still existing without getting into mess. Is because Christ is supporting. He sustains. He is maintaining the entire universe. When the Bible says that he is upholding the universe, it says that he is maintaining the universe. And one of the great testimonies of the scripture is that he is not passive. He is not unengaged. He is not uninvolved. The Bible tells that he is in control over the whole universe. And listen to this carefully. He is actively engaged in the universe to accomplish his purposes. He is leading things towards the intended goal that he has. Although we don't understand what's happening and how it is happening. But the Bible testifies that he is in control. And the Greek grammar, if you see, upholds, it speaks about the present continuous tense. That is, it is not once in a while he is upholding. It's not that he upheld in the past and today is gone. It means he is continuously upholding the universe by the word of his power. You know, someone interpreted that to cause to continue to exist. He is not just the creator and caused everything to come into existence. He is still causing things to continue to exist. If he doesn't do, the universe will become extinct. And you know what is the beautiful thing over here? It says that, how is he upholding the universe? It says that he is upholding the universe by the word of his power. Just by the word of his power, he is upholding the universe. So we see here that the Bible testifies about two things in the book of Hebrews. In the very book of Hebrews, when it comes to the universe, the Bible testifies two things. The first thing is that if you turn to Hebrews chapter 11 verse 3, in the same book, Hebrews chapter 11 verse 3, it says that by faith we understand that the universe was created, how? By the word of God. The whole universe was created by the word of God. And that's what we see in Genesis chapter 1. The Lord spoke. He commanded. The planets came into existence. He commanded. The stars came into existence. He commanded. The sun came into existence. He commanded. The animals in the sky and on the ground and in the sea. Everything came into existence and he commanded. And the day and night was divided. He commanded and the waters were divided from the ground. And we have the ground and also the water. He commanded and all the vegetables started to grow on the ground. But you know one thing? He did not command a human being to come into existence. And what does it say? He made man out of the dust. And he made him in his own image. And if you see, even I remember, I think in Psalm, I don't exactly remember because I was concerned about angels, how were angels come, were created. And I have a clear evidence, I don't have it in mind now, in Psalm 146, 147, I think it says that even the angels came into existence by the command of his word. Wow. Even the angels, he commanded and they came. But human beings were not commanded. And it says here that by faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen 
was not made out of things that are visible. Now God has to create only by the word. Why? Because in order for God to create something from something, something should be existing beforehand. And nothing can be existing without his creation. If there is nothing existing apart from creation, how can God create something when there is nothing except by the power of his word? And that's the reason it makes sense that he created only by the word. And it says, why word? Why? Because as I told you, the only option was a word. And not only God created everything by the word, by the command. You just imagine people, what power is there in the command of God. But don't get into the false teachings, okay? They say that, uh, testing this, you know, there is power in the word of God. There is power in the mouth of God. And we are his children, we are the children of the Most High God. So you name it and claim it. And you will also get whatever you want. You want a car? Name the car. And you see what will happen. How much money do you want in your bank? Name it. It will come. You want a bungalow? Claim it. There is power in your word. Let me tell you, there is nothing in your word. <laughs> Maybe some batsmen, you need to go and brush your teeth. <laughs> Don't get into the false teachings that people say, there is power in our words. There is nothing. There is power only in the word of God. And Bible tells that he not only created the word, it also says in Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3, that he is still sustaining the universe, maintaining the universe, controlling the universe, and holding the universe by still the word of his power. Scientists may give various reasons why there is so much of... Uh, order in this world. My question is, who made it? Who made whatever the scientific reasons except it is God who is behind all things. So we see here that Christ is the creator of all things. Not only is the creator, he inherits what he created. He is the heir of all things. And also he is the sustainer of all things. Now one thing that I would like to address here, which is very important because we are living in India. A world of idols in India, right? And uh, one of the great philosophies of um, Indian philosophy is pantheism. Right? Pantheism. And what is pantheism? Pan means in Greek all. Theism means God, which means all is God. Everything is God. God is universe and the universe is God. That's the reason Hindus worship idols. Because they see God even in trees, in rocks... Because they believe in pantheism, everything is gone. But if you look at the scripture, when the Bible says about Hebrews chapter 1 from verses 1 to 3, it says that he is the creator, which means the creator is distinct from the creation. And it says here that he is upholding the universe. He is holding the universe. Universe is not God. Universe is not Christ. There are some people, you know, Christ is cosmos. There are books written actually. Christ is cosmos. Christ is the universe. So what they are trying to do is they want to remove the distinctness from the creation. They don't want to elevate Christ as the transcendent, high and above, separate from everything that he has created. They want to equate him with the creation, which is a dangerous distortion of what God has created. The Bible very clearly reveals here and this is the reason why we need to tell our Hindu friends is that God is distinct from the creation. The creator is separate from the creation. And why? Did you ever think actually why is idolatry a great sin? In the context of Christ being distinct from the creation because he is the creator, sustainer. Why is idolatry a great sin? Such a great sin is that Bible tells all the idolaters will go to where? Hell. There is a serious consequence for that. You know why? Because since God is a creator and sustainer of all things, and since he is distinct from the creation, in worshipping idols, people equate God with creation. They are removing that holiness. You know, one thing we need to understand that, Holiness is not just about separation from sin. This is one misunderstanding people have. Now my question is, 
What was God before sin came? Was he holy? Yes. Which means, was he still separated from sin when there is no existence of sin? No, that's not what it is. That is a secondary definition of separation. But what we need to understand, holiness means God is a transcendent being. Which means, he is high and above, separated from all things. He is unreachable, unapproachable, unless he reveals himself to us. And that's the reason the Bible says he is the most high God. So high that no one can reach him. That's the majesty of the creator of the heavens and the earth. And what is happening in idols? We are making God cheap. We are equating God with the creation of the world when God is distinct from it. And that's the reason, you know, there is one scripture because we are living in a nation and it may be very helpful for you to share your faith with the Hindu friends who worship idols. And you know, this is the reason in Isaiah, God speaks in this way. Please turn to Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah chapter 40. And listen to this, what he says to the idolaters. Those who are making idols, those who are worshiping idols. And this is what God says, which is in line with what Hebrews 1.3 says about how Christ is distinct from everything. It says in Isaiah 40, 18 to 23. To whom then will you liken God? He's speaking to idolaters. To whom then will you liken God? Or what likeness compare with him? An idol? Do you think God is so cheap that you worship him as an idol made by a man? That's what he questions. Are you comparing me with an idol? What an insult it is. Blasphemy it is against the holiness of God. And he says a craftsman cast it. A goldsmith overslated with gold and cast for it silver chains. He who is too impoverished for an offering chooses wood that will not rot. He seeks out a skillful craftsman to set up an idol that will not move. Now you see after he mocks at the idolaters, you see where he takes them to. You see the question he's reasoning. God is reasoning here. Do you not know? Do you not hear? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he. You see he's telling I am distinct. I am separate. I am the most high God. You cannot compare me with anything. And he says here. It is he who sits above the circle of the earth. And its inhabitants are like grasshoppers who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to dwell in, who brings princes to nothing and makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness. How is God defending that you should not worship idols by telling them that I am distinct from the creation? In fact, I am the one who made the heavens and the earth and people are like grasshoppers before me. They are tiny ants. With whom will you compare me? Heaven is my throne. Earth is my footstool. Do you worship idols? You know, there is something that I would like to tell you again when God defends against idolatry and tells that I am distinct from the creation against pantheism. You know, before I say this, there is something that you need to know here. You know how many stars are in the universe? No one knows. <laughs> Approximately, now listen. Approximately, there are 200 billion trillion stars in the universe. About, even that also is not certain. Why? I will tell you later. About 200 billion trillion stars. And listen again. Roughly 150 billion stars are born every year. Every year, roughly 150 billion stars are born. And if you start counting, okay, let us count. I was thinking about how much years, how many years it will take if we count stars. If you count at a rate of five stars per second, in one second, if you count five stars, if you count start, if you start counting, this would take you around 5.8 thousand billion years. Now, why am I telling? Now, listen to this. Why I say this? Isaiah 40. 25 to 26 says, you know what it says? Again he's telling, to whom then will you compare me? With these idols? That I should be like him, says the Holy One. Now you see what he says. 
Lift up your eyes on high and see who created them. And you know what is he pointing to? The stars. He's pointing to the stars and he's telling, lift up your eyes and see who created them. Now you see what it says. He who brings out their host by number, the galaxies of stars by number, calling them all by my goodness, I don't remember 100 people names and these are billion, trillion. The Bible says he knows and he calls stars by name, by the greatness of his mind, because he is strong in power, not one is missing. Not even a single star is missing because he is upholding it. Not a single star is missing because he is sustaining it. People imagine about you and me being a part of it. I would like to even go further and share something. You know, it says here that again, I want to remind you when it says that he upholds the universe by the word of his power. One of the Bible scholars says that he keeps the cosmos, the universe, from becoming a chaos. He is keeping the cosmos from becoming a chaos. I would like to put some questions before you. Think about this. Just think about this, people. And that shows about who Christ is. Why is it that the other planets do not collide with one another or with the planet Earth? Sometimes you see on the news, right? When I see on the news, there is a planet coming and it may hit us, I relax. And not at all bothered. You know why? Because I know who is upholding the universe. Why is it that stars do not fall upon the Earth or hit the Earth? Why is it? Christ is sustaining it. The sun contains the temperature between 15 million degrees Celsius to 6,000 degrees. And how much do we suffer here? Max what? 45. <laughs> if it were any close to us, we would burn up. And if it is little farther away, we would freeze. How is it the sun is not doing that? Christ is upholding it. Why is it that the earth which spins around the sun, all of us know, right? The earth is spinning around the sun, does not wander away from the sun, just spill off. Did you ever think about it? It is spinning, spinning, and then it spins off. Why doesn't it happen? So many things happen here, right? Why doesn't it happen? Because Christ is appalling it. Why is it that waters, what is the percentage of water that covers the earth? About 70% of the water does not cross the boundary and cover the earth. Why doesn't it happen? You know, there is a scripture that says here, that Jeremiah chapter 5 verse 22, listen what it says. Whenever he speaks about his majesty, that is what the word of God says here. Jeremiah chapter 5 verse 22. It says, do you not fear me? Declares the Lord. Do you not tremble in my presence? Now you see what it says. For I have placed the sand as a boundary for the sea. Who has placed the sand? Do you, do you think it's difficult for the waters to cross the boundary of the sand? Is it too difficult? Not at all. It can just come out. But it says here that I am, I am the one who put the boundary to the sea. Now you see what it says. An eternal decree so that it cannot cross over it. So who was in control when tsunami happened? The devil? Ultimately, God was in control because a sea, the sea cannot cross the boundary without God giving a decree. It says, though the waves toss, yet they cannot prevail. Though they roar, yet they cannot cross over it. So he says that this is who am I. Do you people not fear me? Do you not tremble in my presence? Do you treat me as a cheap one? Did you ever think about why is it that our bodies do not grow out of control? The nose only till here. Why doesn't it grow like this? Why ears don't grow like, you know, so big? Why don't we keep on, you know, growing tall and tall? Did you ever think about it? You know why? Because that's a command God has given. And that's how he sustains. And why is it that the devil and the demons do not destroy the whole world at once? Because God Christ is sustaining the universe. You just think about people... It really should astound us how great Christ is. Now listen, this is my application to you. 
the one who is holding the whole universe the christ who is upholding the whole universe is also upholding your life he is the one who is upholding your life even in the midst of your suffering suffering doesn't come just like that no one nothing can touch your life without the permission of god if suffering has come into your life because god has permitted it for a special reason for his glory for our good and the bible tells that he is upholding us is it too difficult for him to empower you to conquer your temptations is it too difficult for him to be with you and lead you through your suffering is it too difficult for him not at all that's why people they need to look to christ the reason why the author is saying here is not to just to give you a doctrinal understanding this is who christ is he was writing this so that we can run to him where else do we go lord where else do we go in suffering where else do we go in pain where else do we go in brokenness of the heart where else do we go in darkness where else do we go in sickness where else do we go you have the words of eternal life you are the creator you are the inheritor you are the reflector you are the sustainer of the whole universe apart from him we are nothing and can do nothing so people i encourage you this morning turn to christ look to christ find your strength in him because he is the one who is upholding the universe and he alone can lead you in this brief short miserable world safely till the end or else we cannot survive the fifth factor that we see in verse 3 after mentioning that christ is the one who upholds the whole universe he is the sustainer of the whole universe which includes us it says in verse 5 in verse 3 it says here that after making purification for our sins he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high this speaks about christ not only is the inheritor creator reflector sustainer now this is the most important thing that the author of hebrews would like to spend in the rest of the book that christ is the redeemer and why should you listen to the son to whom by whom that god has spoken to in the last days because he is no ordinary man that's the argument he is presenting in the last days god spoke by his son why this son is no ordinary person he is the creator inheritor reflector sustainer and ultimately he is the redeemer you know what is the great work of christ when you look into this passage the great work of christ that we see in this passage is the work of creation and the work of redemption the one who created he also the one who redeems now it says over here now we need to ponder over here why is the word purification for sins is used here why did christ make purification for sins and it says here since you don't make purification for virtues for good works you make purification for sins and this reveals to us the fact that we people have sinned against god and because we sin against god and because god is holy he is offended by the sins people commit now let me tell you people if sin is not a great offense against god then god is not holy the offense against god speaks to us that speaks about god that he is a holy god that he is a righteous god that he is a god who is just and what is the opposite of this sin what is the opposite of the purification it speaks about the defilement that sin has brought into us and that's the reason although man and woman have been created in the image of god people have become wretched ugly ungodly wicked in the sight of the holy god and because of that god cannot have fellowship with people because of sin because of that people cannot enjoy his presence because of sin because of that people cannot enjoy the blessings that god wants to give to his children because of sin sin is the biggest problem in this world it doesn't say that he made purification for sickness 
Because sickness is not the biggest problem. It doesn't say that he made purification for poverty. Because poverty is not the biggest problem. The biggest problem is sin. Because of which Christ made purification. And it doesn't just say that sin. You know what does it say? He made purification for sins. Which speaks about the surplus, countless sins that we have committed against God. Just as the car stars cannot be counted, I think even our sins cannot be counted. So great are our sins right from the way, from the day we were born and we were, you know, swinging in the cradle right to the time when we go to the grave. Our sins are many people. Not a day goes by that we don't sin against God. And because we have sinned against God, the Bible tells that we have been separated from God. You know what is the very first thing that happened when Adam and Eve sinned against God? They were casted out from the garden of Eden. What they lost is not mainly that nakedness, that sense of nakedness people. What they lost in the garden of Eden is intimacy with God. Sin separates man from God. Sin brings the curse of God upon man. And God has to punish sin and the sinners because he is the holy God. And because of that, we have become the object of his wrath and condemnation. People, if this is what sin is and what sin has done, there is only way that we need to come out of it and that is we need purification. And that's the reason we see in other religions how much they struggle for the purification of their sins. They think that if they go to the pilgrimage, their sins will be purified. If they do good works, their sins will be purified. Or if they do some kind of rituals at home, their sins will be purified. There is so much burden that is laid on the people of other religions to make sure that their sins are purified. But what a great news that we see here. We see here that Christ he has not only created, he's not only the heir, he's not only upholding, and he dealt with the biggest problem in the history of the universe, and that is a problem of sin. And that is what he did here. When the Bible speaks about, you know, after he made purification for sins, it is speaking about Christ's high priestly work. Because in the Old Testament, if you see, it is only the high priest who makes purification for sins. And if you have read the entire book of Hebrews, you see that the author of Hebrews' thrust in the entire book is to prove that Christ is a high priest who made purification for sins. I think these prosperity gospel people should read the book of Hebrews actually. You know why? They understand the gravity of sin when they read it. And also the gravity of Christ's atonement on the cross, which many people miss today. Now one thing we need to understand when the Bible speaks about here purification for sins, it speaks about Christ's propitiation for our sins. Now I know purification is something many of us will understand, but we don't know many of us the, uh, the propitiation. And what is propitiation? Listen to this carefully. We see that in almost every religion. Propitiation is satisfying the wrath of the deity. And that's the reason you see that, you know, uh, in some of the pagan religions, they offer cows or bulls or goats and blood they will shed. Why? Why? To appease the wrath of the deity so that they would not be destroyed. We find the same thing in Old Testament. Why there were sacrifices? Why there was shedding of the blood? Imagine if you had gone to the Jewish temple in the Old Testament. What you would see everywhere? Pool of blood. Rivers of blood flowing through. Some people may be thinking that, you know, God must be so cruel. It is not about the cruelty of God, people. It speaks about the holiness of God, the righteousness of God, the majesty of God, how God hates sin. Every time you see blood, that speaks about the gravity of the sin of man and how it is important that God's anger and wrath be satisfying. And the only way the wrath of God is justified or satisfied is by the blood. Because the Bible tells in Hebrews 9.22 that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. So when the Bible speaks about after making purification for sins, what it says is that Christ shed his blood. And blood speaks about life. 
and he laid his life because only through the life of Christ, the death of Christ, that sins can be atoned for. You know, one of the arguments that I made in my book, Authentic Christian, is this. If the wages of sin is death, if the wages of sin is death, then only the death of Christ can pay the penalty for sin. If the wages of sin is death, then also the penalty or the price to deal with that sin should also be death. And that person should be unblemished. Who is the only person in the entire universe who was unblemished, holy and righteous? Only Christ. And because of that, Christ has come to propitiate for our sins. And he satisfied the righteous indignation of God. And that's the reason it says in song, you know, in Christ alone. It speaks about how Christ satisfied the wrath of God. The wrath of God was satisfied. I remember actually the interview that happened and Keith and Keith, Keith, Keith Getty and they are the ones who wrote this song and they were asked by the song, the publisher to remove that wrath. They were asked to remove it because that is not very appealing. What would the world think? What do people think? God is loving. God is compassionate. God is kind. Remove the word wrath. We cannot publish this song if you have the word wrath. They said that no. We want to have the word wrath because it is there in the Bible. Do you want to remove from the Bible also? Romans 5 says that God has saved us from his wrath. So that we would not become the object of wrath. And that has happened only because of Christ's propitiation. People listen to this carefully. Now listen carefully. There is not a single sin for which Christ has not died. There is not a single sin for which Christ has not purified. There is not a single sin for which Christ has not atoned for. Any sin that we commit, we can boldly come to the Father and say, Lord, I repent of my sin. I trust in the work of Christ on the cross and our sins can be forgiven. What a great hope. People may not forgive you if they know how many sins you commit. Maybe maximum they will say one, two, three, four, maybe ten or twenty. If you do more than that, enough is enough. You know the word, right? Enough is enough. Because we have no patience. We cannot bear it anymore. But we see Christ that he manifests infinite, infinite love and grace and compassion and he forgives every sin. Now listen to this carefully, brothers and sisters. If there is only one sin for which Christ did not die. Now I know you may be thinking about blasphemy of the Holy Spirit and uh, 1 John. I'm not speaking about that. In fact, no one can commit blasphemy of the Holy Spirit now because no one calls Jesus the evil spirit and Jesus is not with us in the physical presence. It happened only in the first century. No one commits after that. The only sin that Christ did not die is for the sin of unbelief in his atonement on the cross. That sin cannot be forgiven. That was a problem in the book of Hebrews. Because they were turning away from the only one who died for their sins. They were turning away from the only one who can give them the hope of eternal life and forgiveness of sins. And they were turning to the Old Testament. Turning to the Judaism. And he was telling them that Christ is the only one. If you turn away from him, there is no more forgiveness for you. There is no more atonement for you. And there is no more hope for you. And I tell here, brothers and sisters... Or men and women here, if you are here, not believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, I'm telling you, you are the greatest fool because the greatest savior has come to die for your greatest problem and they're denying him. He is the only one who can save you, forgive you, knows you in and out and yet he says, I love you enough and died for you enough and I'm able to forgive you. The thing is, we need to repent and put our faith in him. And apart from faith, Hebrews 11 chapter, long chapter he writes, there is no one who can please God. Apart from faith, there is no forgiveness. Apart from faith, there is no purification for sins. So I tell you here, if there is anyone who is here, who is not born again, who is not genuinely Christian, turn to the Lord and trust in him. For he alone can forgive. Sin of unbelief, 
That is, I'm talking particularly unbelief in not in other contexts. I'm talking unbelief in the context of not trusting in the atoning sacrifice of Christ Jesus on the cross. If you don't trust in that, your eternal life, there is no hope. And you will be eternally condemned. And it is not just for that people. It is for us too who are believers. How many can say that here? That I live a life without sinning. After becoming a Christian. Some crazy people say that I am not taking baptism because I am still sinning. As if those who take baptism don't sin at all. In fact, the one who gives baptism, the pastor, he continues to sin. No, we sin. Not because we love to sin. Not because we take delight in sin. Not because we are habituated to sin. It is because we are still struggling with a depraved nature in our hearts. And still we need to fight against it. And still we need to run to the gospel. That's the reason we need the gospel every day. Every time we are angry, we should run to the cross and say, Lord, forgive me. Every time we fall into lust, we can run to the cross and say, Lord, forgive me. Every time we are greedy and hating and bitter and whatever sin we commit, we can go to the cross. Why? Because he purified for every sin on the cross. Now here is a challenge that I would like to make to you people before I go to the next final factor, uh, the part B of this, you know. Now listen carefully. This is, this to me is something that I don't understand. You know what? When Christ is the creator, the sustainer, the heir of the universe, imagine who is he? The infinite, incomparable, invincible, inimitable God. So great and vast and you cannot contain him. Such a majestic God of is. Why should he be mindful of us? A tiny particle of dust in his most majestic eyes. Why should he be mindful of us? Small creatures and the two sinful creatures. And much more astounding is that, why should such a most high God become a small creature, a small tiny human being? Isn't that amazing people? That this God who is majestic, this God who created the sun and the moon and the stars and the animals and the plants and human beings, the planets and everything. He humbled himself and became a tiny human being like you and me to purify for our sins. I don't understand that. I don't understand. That only speaks about how great is his love. And grace towards us. And you know what it says? After he made purification for our sins, what happened? He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Now what does the word sat down speak about? Now you need to understand, you know, these are figurative language. Okay, it is not that he literally went and he sat down and there is a throne over there. So this sat down speaks about one thing, you know. Christ earthly mission was finished. What happened when God created the world or the universe in six days? What happened? What does it say? It says that God rested. Now what is the meaning of rest? It means God stopped creating anything more. So when the Bible says here that Christ has sat down at the right hand of the Father, it says he has done his work on the earth. He has made purification for sins once and for all. There is no need for him to come back again and die for the sins of people. As we see, there is a continuous sacrifice in the Old Testament. There is no need now because Christ once and for all, he died, he purified and he was exalted and is now seated at the right hand of the Father in heaven. And you know, it says here that also in 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 2, which speaks similarly of what 1 Hebrews 1.3 says. Christ who has gone to heaven and is at the right hand of God. What? Where? With angels, authorities and powers having been subjected to him. See that everything is subjected to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now you need to understand here that when the Bible speaks about the exaltation of the Lord Jesus Christ at the right hand of the Father in heaven. And when the Bible speaks about right hand, it speaks about the position of power, the position of authority, 
the position of control that Christ is having along with the Father. In other words, what we could say is that when Christ has purified for sins and went on high and sat down at the right hand of the Father, what it says is that he is reigning with the Father. He is controlling with the Father. He is exercising authority with the Father. Now, there is one thing that we need to understand here. A very important doctrinal truth. Listen carefully. This is very important. When you see this scripture and this passage that Hebrews 1, 1 to 3, some, you know, it, it's very astounding actually how the author of Hebrews were trying to balance. Right? He was speaking on one side that Christ is the heir. And then he was speaking on the other side, God appointed him to be heir. On one side it says Christ has created all things. And then on the other side he speaks about God created all things through him. On one side it speaks about Christ is exalted and is seated on the throne. On the other side the author is speaking about he is seated at the right hand of the father in heaven. Now there are two things you need to understand why the author is presenting this way. He was addressing the most important thing throughout the history people have been greatly confused and even today. And that's the reason there is a heresy of subordinationism. And now listen, why the author is presenting two things over here? It is because he is speaking both about the equality of the Lord Jesus with the Father in essence, in deity. And at the same time, he was speaking about his subordination, his submission to the authority of the Father in role and function. This equality and subordinationism is something... Many people get confused with. Equality speaks about Christ is also the creator. Christ is also the God. All that God the Father has in order to become God, in order to be the God that he claims to be, Christ also has those qualities, essence, substance, attributes, character, works, everything he has. At the same time, the Bible also says that God is not, Christ is not equal with the Father in function. Christ is not equal with the Father in his role. And that's why he is the Father and the Son is called the Son. And that's why the Lord Jesus says that the Son can do nothing except what he sees the Father doing. And that's why he submits himself to the Father. That's why he prays to the Father. That's why he is seated at the right hand of the Father in heaven. The Bible gives the perfect balance of the equality of son with the father. At the same time, the submission, the subordination of the son to the father. Heresies have come out because they got confused with this. And we need to maintain that balance in tension. Let me tell you, there is this tension in this balance. And the tension is permitted in the Bible and we need to hold it and believe it. And not follow fall into the heresy of subordinationism. What is the heresy of subordinationism? They believe that Christ is not only unequal or unequal in his function, but also unequal, unequal in essence, in substance. Therefore, Christ is not God because he is in submission to the Father in heaven. And I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, if you don't get rooted in this, if you meet a Jehovah Witnesses, he can easily fool you. The way that they expound the scriptures, I've seen people, good believers, gone away by their reasoning. Why? Because they are not rooted in understanding the deity of Christ and the subordination of Christ, the equality of Christ. And another thing that I would like to point out, when it says over here that he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Now you need to really carefully pay attention. When Christ died and when he was exalted and when he was seated at the right hand of the Father, he did not receive something that was new. Do you understand what I'm saying? The glory that he received is not something that is new. The exaltation that he received is not something that is new. The power and the authority that he received is not something that is new. How can I say that? It says in John chapter 17 verse 5. John chapter 17 verse 5. Now listen what it says here. All of you, shall we read this together? Now if you read this, you will understand John 17 verse 5. What does it say? And now Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory 
that I had with you before the world existed. It is not something new that he was asking. Father, I want to receive the glory because I never had this. I want to taste how it is. No. He says that I want to be glorified with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. The authority, the power, the control that I had. I want to have it a lot again because I am with you from the beginning. In the beginning was the word, God, and the word was with God. The God was with the word and the word was God. So please understand. When Christ was exalted and seated at the right hand of the Father, he didn't receive anything new. He received only what he had before the world existed. But he left it when he became a man. He left his heavenly state. That's the reason Philippians 2 says that although he was God and counted himself as nothing, something to be grasped, the great and the most high God, he left his glory. You know why? For you and me. For our sins. People, don't forsake him for your suffering. <laughs> because your suffering is nothing before the sins you committed. God never sends people for suffering. He glorifies them, in fact. He honors them. He strengthens them. But he can't send people to hell because of sin. And because of that, this glorious Christ has left his glory. And came down on this earth for our sins and our sins only. And then after he purified our sins, he again gone back to the glory that he had. But you know what I would like to end with? You know what is the hope that you and I have? Everything Christ did is humanity, there is something for us. Do you know that? Everything that he did, there is something for us. Even in his exaltation. You know what is that? Revelation 3.21 says, The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me. On my throne. Do you see that here people? He says that the one who conquers. If you persevere in this world. Suffering in this world. Attacks in this world. You persevere. You don't give up. You cling to him. The Bible tells that the one who conquers. I will grant him to sit with me on my throne. He is enthroned. He is seated with the father on the throne. And now he tells you and me. Now if you conquer. If you persevere. At the end. You will also sit with me on my throne as I conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. Wow. Which means one, it speaks that we too will be exalted one day. We too will be glorified one day. We too will be honored one day. We too will be reigning with Christ one day. We too will be sitting with the Lord Jesus who is seated at the right hand of the father. And we will also be sitting at the right hand of the Lord Jesus. Which speaks about how Christ glorifies and honors. John Piper says in line with this, This is a promise to everyone who conquers. That is, who presses on in faith to the end. In spite of every threatening, pain and luring, sinful pleasure. So if you are a true believer in Jesus, you will sit on the throne of the Son of God who sits on the throne of God the Father. I take throne of God. To signify the right and authority to rule the universe. You know again what is happening? Again God is giving us the great commission that he gave to the first human being in Genesis chapter 1. What did he tell them after he created them? Rule over the entire planet earth. Rule over it. That speaks about kingship. That speaks about ruling Along with the Father in heaven. I am the God who created. But I give this rulership to you. And it is because in order for you to rule. God has created man in his own image. Because only in the image of God he can rule over the world. But that is lost because of sin. And it is to restore that Christ came. Died for us. Rose from the dead. Removed that sin. So that one day we would sit with the Lord Jesus Christ. In the new heavens and the new earths. When this whole world will be wiped off, you and I, as believers of the Lord, will be reigning the planet Earth in the new heavens and the new worlds. What a glorious hope we have, dear brothers and sisters. Don't sell this Christ for the sake of sinful pleasures. Don't sell this Christ for suffering. He's most beautiful, glorious, gracious, kind, 
Most High God, holy, righteous. He cannot be compromised with anything because He is glorious and majestic. Now as I close this sermon, let us all read now and understand with the big picture in the three sermons that I gave. Now I think it makes more sense when you read Hebrews chapter 1 verses 1 to 3. Long ago, at many times in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for speaking to us by your son who spoke to us through the apostles. And whatever you have for us to know is written in the Holy Scripture. We thank you for showing who your son is, O Lord. He is no ordinary person, Lord. We cannot comprehend his majesty. We still grapple to understand who he is. We are hearing, O Lord, that he is the inheritor, that he is the reflector, that he is the creator, sustainer, redeemer. We are hearing. But Lord, it takes eternity to comprehend what we are hearing. And we pray that you continue to show the glory and the beauty and the majesty of your son in our lives. Oh, may we not see the pleasures of sin, but the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. May we not be absorbed and worried about the pain of suffering. But behold, the glory of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He is the reason why we are existing. He is the reason why we will be existing forever. He is the reason why we are taking breath every day. He is the reason why we are eating food. He is the reason why we can talk to you. He is the reason why we have family. He is the reason why we have the church here. He is the reason why we are listening to the preaching today. He is the reason... We can die with a smile on our face when we have to face the fact, the fact of death. He, he is the only reason. Life is nothing apart from him. All that we glorify, magnify, love, exalt, cherish in this world is the dust alone. Nothing compared to the beauty and the glory and the majesty of our beloved Savior Jesus Christ. Oh Lord, we pray that you show us Christ every day and take us deeper into him, knowing him, loving him, obeying him. May we not love anyone more than Christ because he is the only one who deserves our undevoted love and attention. Not spouse, not church, not family, not friends, not job, not money, not possessions because all things pass away. But the only eternal one who deserves our love forever, our worship forever, our adoration forever is the Lord Jesus Christ. And may we love him, may we die for him because he is the most excellent person in the universe. Oh, give us your grace, O oh Lord, to know your son more and lead him to live and die for his glory. Once again, we all remember we are never tired, we are never bored, thanking you. We still don't understand how that majestic Christ who is the heir, creator, sustainer has taken the form of the human body, lived in this world for 33 years, walked on the dust of the earth, faced persecution by people, people spat on him, people killed him, people persecuted him, all because of our sins. If he can, he can wipe off the whole universe with the word of his power, but he didn't do that. He endured everything for our sins. Can't we endure, O oh Lord, fighting against sin? Can't we endure in suffering that we face in this world, in this short life? O oh Lord, help us to look to Christ and be strong. And we thank you for the cross. Thank you for the purification for our sins. Thank you for his redemptive work on the cross. Pray, O oh Lord, if anyone is here, unsaved, open their blinded eyes. Break their hardened hearts. Deliver them from the slavery of sin. Deliver them from the bondage of the devil who has blinded their minds from beholding the glory of the God of the gospel. Save them, O Lord. 
Save them. And those who are saved, we pray that they would continue to behold the glory of Christ. Go from glory to glory and be absorbed in the person Jesus Christ. Love him, obey him, serve him, and long for him to return, to take us to be with him forever and ever, to reign with him in the new heavens and the new earths. In Jesus' name, we offer this prayer with thanksgiving. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to the message. We believe you have been greatly encouraged in your heart. Stephen David also writes articles that are relevant to today's generation. You may read them on his blog www.messageforourage.blogspot.com I repeat www.messageforourage.blogspot.com you may also email him at cstephendavid at gmail.com. I repeat, c-s-t-e-p-h-e-n-d-a-v-i-d at g-m-a-i-l dot c-o-m. Grace and peace be to you.